Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is episode 126 of the show with Australia's, one of Australia's most successful romance novelists, Rachel Johns. You can follow her on Twitter at R-A-C-H-A-E-L-J-O-H-N-S. More about her in just a minute. This episode brought to you by the magnificent people who've supported the show at patreon.com slash Osher. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Osher. A bunch of people have pledged... Uh, as little as a dollar, and um, some people have pledged a whole lot more. But um, because of these people who've uh, pledged some money to come through every month, I'm now able to hire an audio producer, uh, Andy Ma. G'day, Andy, who's editing this, um, who's able to uh, help me put the shows together and make sure that I uh, am able to put out a show each week. If you are a person who wants to pledge at least five bucks a month, you will get access to exclusive episodes. Uh, there's one up at the moment from myself and James Matheson, and there's a new one coming next week with the delightful Ash London. It's a fantastic chat. She speaks about quitting two of the greatest jobs you could ever want in the music industry and how she had a crisis of faith and came out the other side. It's a bloody great chat and I really, really hope you dig it. Once again, just patreon.com slash Osher if you want uh, to listen to those. Um, I'm recording this on Easter Sunday, so I hope yours is good. Um, I went around last night and hit a bunch of Easter eggs. Uh, it was pretty awesome. It was a lot of fun. And then Gigi got up in the morning and ran around the house, got them. Difficult to hide Easter eggs in an apartment, but I managed to do it. It was pretty good. Thanks so much to everybody who left such wonderful feedback about the Will Anderson podcast I did with Will over at Willosophy. Uh, you can go find that on iTunes. I pinned the episode to the top of my Twitter feed, so if you want to hear it, listen to it there. But thank you so much to everybody that um, enjoyed that show. And if you're here because of that show, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for listening. There's a bunch of old episodes that I hope you enjoy. Uh, subscribe, tell your mates. That's it. Um, 
I hope your week was good to check in. Uh, I managed eight hours sleep the other night for the first time in about three months. And it felt weird, but good. It felt really good. So that was exciting. I got seven hours last night, but it was still pretty good. It was still pretty good. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I didn't quite realize how much my lack of sleep was affecting me um, because it's been a really tough week. I had to go and see my guy and my guy's like, all right, we're going to have to go back up on the meds, which I get because I was struggling. I was really struggling. And um, so I've gone back up on the meds, which is good because I'm less crazy. But uh, my guy did say the other day, he said, look, we might have to go back on the big guns, which I really don't want to do. Really don't want to do because you put on heaps of weight on those ones. Um, last time I was on them, I put on eight kilos in a month, starting to run out of clothes. I was riding 300, 400 kilometers a week and I was still putting on weight because it messes with the way your body metabolizes food. So I'm going to do as much as I can to try and sleep as much as I can, work out as much as I can, eat right, just not do anything except sleep and work and see my family, which is pretty much what I've been ordered to do. Just if I'm not with my family or working, I'm resting. That's what. That's it. That's all I'm allowed to do at the moment. So I'm going to try doing that for a couple of weeks and uh, hopefully I won't have to keep off. Well, hopefully we'll have to keep off the big ones, but the, the bummer about being on meds is it's not like when you take a neurofern or something and in 20 minutes they kick in. They take quite a while, like sometimes 10 days, two weeks to make a difference. So it's still a bit tough at the moment. Um, and I do all kinds of things to get grounded this morning. Uh, what I often try and do is try and feel my feet in my shoes. Um, when the thoughts are really getting intrusive, I just try and feel my feet in my shoes or feel the where my lips touch. Uh, I know that sounds weird, but it's something that really helps just bring us, bring me back into here now, not terrifying future where the world's ending or awful past where I did stupid shit. Um, and this morning I was out walking the dog and it was first thing in the morning. I hadn't had coffee. My prefrontal cortex hasn't woken up. So my sense of reason isn't working and my head's just trying to tell me the world is ending this guy is falling i'm out there walking the dog and the dog's just wagging his tail i'm just like a oh, fuck brain just give me a fucking just give me a sec and i leant down to pick up his poop with a little bag and i was <laughs> it's gonna sound weird dude and i'm holding his poop in my hand and i'm like feel the warmth of the poop just feel how warm the poop is smell the poop oh there it is there's the smell of the poop there's the warmth of the poop in my hand. Oh, I'm back. I'm back. Here we are. I'm back again. All right. It's it's odd. I'm now at a point and I'm recognizing this now. I'm getting to a point where I'm recognizing the pungent smell of dog shit is what I'm using to ground me. <laughs> yeah. Ah, whatever works. Whatever works. But I'm really going to have to get it together, man, because uh, this is no way to go through days. No way to go through days. Uh, so I'm going to have to take it really seriously. Really going to have to get some rest. Really going to have to work out when I have to work out. Really going to have to eat right and just fucking chill. Yeah. Anyway, I hope you're taking uh, your health as seriously as I have to take mine today. I say have to because I fucking have to. It's not a choice really. Um, but if you're lucky enough... Um, 
to have be having a good day today, then have one for me and uh, I'll be having the best day I possibly can and just trying to feel the poop. <laughs> so let me tell you about my guest this week. I am so excited to speak to this lady. She is a treat. Rachel Johns is one of Australia's most successful romance novelists. She has written over 15 books. 15! She's amassed a legion of followers, a legion of followers all over the world who look forward to what will next unfold in the impossibly romantic Australian outback she writes about where men are men who wander in from out of town and get work on the farm and turn up in the morning to lift heavy things and then later on they're all sweaty and tired in the sunset glistening off their biceps. You get the idea. It's pretty good stuff. The most interesting thing about this conversation that I'm grateful to share with you, you may not be into romance novels, that's fine, but uh, Rachel, yes, she's published 15 books, more more than 15 books. She's coming on 16 or 17, I think it's about to come out. But it took her 15 years to get noticed, all right? And we talk about what she did in those 15 years. We also talk about the skills she learned as a kid that help her now in her career. And the other thing that's really good to listen to her talk about is her creative flow and how she gets into Like each one is like 100,000 something words, all right? So that's a lot. She writes a lot, all right? So it's very, very interesting. Just a quick uh, – she's really funny too. She's super funny. Uh, a quick word about how this one sounds. Uh, for those of you who've been listening for a long time, you'll know that occasionally uh, the uh, audio recorders don't work as they're supposed to. And unfortunately, that's what happened on this episode. The recorder that I had on Rachel corrupted the file. Uh, when I went to go find it, the file was, yeah, 576 megabytes, but nope, didn't want to know about it. So I had to go with the redundancy recording. Um, which if it sounds like an iPhone sitting on a boardroom table, it's because it was an iPhone sitting on a boardroom table. I've asked Andy, uh, who's producing this, to do as much as he can with the levels, but I apologize for how it sounds, but I hope the conversation is good enough that it'll carry you over the audio issue. Um, Thank you so much for understanding, but I hope you enjoy this conversation with the lovely Rachel Johns. All right. How are you? Um I'm pretty. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm trying to trying to deal with um, saying yes to a lot of stuff. Uh, you got to learn to say no. I do. Yes, I'm but they like come it. with money, Rachel. <laughs> I, know, I do understand that as and well. And they go, yeah, I know you've got a lot going on, but we want to pay you this much. Yes, I know. Exactly and the part of me that used to be unemployed goes, yes. I have the same problem saying no to more books. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we're here in. Uh, can you describe to people, because people listen from all over the world, can you describe to people where we are? Where we are? We're in, we're near Hyde Park in Sydney, I think. This is going to test my, um, I don't know Sydney very well. We are overlooking the harbour. Yeah, that's Woolloomooloo down there. Woolloomooloo, there you go. Um, I know the street we're on, Park Street. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not... No, 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 we're in the middle of the CBD. We're on the 13th floor of 201 Elizabeth Street, which is the... Uh, Beautiful building. A beautiful building. It's like mm-hmm. the HarperCollins. And, oh, I suppose a lot of things. It's everybody. and Harlequin. And Harlequin. Yeah. And this is the house of your, this is the publishing house. Yes. The house of your publisher. Harlequin, yeah. Yeah. And these are the people that publish a lot of your books. These not people all. that pay me, like we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not all of your books, but a lot of them. Um, majority of them, yeah. yeah. But you don't live in Sydney, do you? No, I live in WA. I used to live in rural WA until about six months ago. Now I live on the edge of um, Perth and the Hills. 
So when we talk, now Western Australia is pretty much maybe a little bit bigger than Western Europe. <laughs> it's a huge amount of the world mm-hmm. with not a lot of people. Nothing there, yeah. When you say rural, what are we talking? Um, well, for the, I've been rural for about 11 years. Um, we were in a small town for the six of uh, that three hours, no, yeah, three hours south of Perth on the way to Albany. So people that don't know... WA often know Albany or have heard of Albany. Um, so it was farming country, you know, mostly sheep uh, and wheat, things like that, canola. And then we've been recently a bit closer, we've been in um, the eastern, or just the beginning of the wheat belt in a little town called Goomelling. But we had the supermarket there in towns, so that was good, lots of um, inspiration when people come in and, you know, talk about everyone else in town. But unfortunately, <laughs> we moved to Perth. Well, not unfortunately, there's good things and there's bad things. I yeah. do love living in the small town, so I'll miss it. But um, we moved to the hills of Perth. So we're still kind of, I feel like we're still got, you know, I can't see my neighbour's house, but unless I you know, really peer. Um, we're surrounded by bushland, or we were until recently. It's just burnt down. Um, and, but we're, we're five minutes from sort of the edge of civilization. So, yeah. <laughs> Where did you grow up? Um, well, actually, I was born in England, in oh, London. Me too. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, then we moved to Sydney, my mum's work. Uh, so we, I was here for the first seven years of my life. Went to daycare in the CBD somewhere around here. Uh, but then we moved to Perth in, when I was about seven, and so I've been there until we moved to the country. Well, what did your folks do? Um, my dad and mum met in television in the UK. They, mum was in uh, human resources and dad did some engineering type thing in the TV. So not the glamorous sort no, of No, but they're the, jobs, they're the jobs that last though. Yeah. That's the thing. If you want a job in television, don't get one on camera. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. So they met, they met there. Um, they weren't actually married. My parents had an affair. So. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Who was the other who? Um, the other woman. Um, well, my mum was the other woman. Wow. Um, but my, uh, he was been, he'd been married to his wife for a long time. They're both strong Catholics, but, you know, there was um, not really a very good relationship there anymore, unfortunately. Tough. So my mum moved to Australia just after I was born sort of to get away from all that. Without him? Without him, yeah. So you came here. Wow. Yeah, my parents, uh, well, my dad didn't tell anyone about me, so... Till I was 17 when I met my brothers and sisters. That was the first they'd ever known about me and they were all older. So, yeah, it was family scandal there. Boy. And so did you ever have a, a, a father figure in not, your life? Uh, I would say not really, but then I, that's a complete lie because <laughs> we lived with my grandparents. Um, they came to Sydney long, long after. Um, I also had an uncle who lived in Sydney too. So that's why my mum came out here. Um, and so I had an uncle who was a father figure, I suppose. Crazy, crazy. He's a crazy scientist, so, you know. They're the best kind of uncles, though, aren't they? Still is crazy. Um, And my granddad was very much a father figure to me. He was one that came along to, you know, Father's Day things at school and things like that. So I did. I I don't consider that I missed out on anything. Right. People used to ask, oh, how do you feel about not having a dad? Well, I never had one. So you don't miss out on what you don't ever know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I ask because I'm... Uh, I've recently got engaged. Uh, I was married, then I got unmarried. Yeah, now, now, <laughs> now, now I'm in pre-married. Yeah. And uh, Audrey has a 12-year-old daughter, Gigi. Uh-huh. And uh, Audrey's pretty much been single the whole Pretty time. much the whole time. So that's quite an adjustment for your uh, future daughter. Quite an adjustment. Daughter, yeah. 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 I know that my mum probably, um, she dated a couple of times and I wasn't very forgiving about it. Looking back, you know, I remember when I was seven, she had quite a serious relationship 
and I was painful about it. So eventually it kind of broke up. Um, but you don't blame yourself very, for that, do you? No, because looking back, he wasn't a very nice person really um, in terms of, you know, sounds like obviously you're quite happy to, you know, welcome uh, a daughter into your life, whereas mm. he wasn't, you oh. know, really. So, and, um, but looking back, I think I would have, I wish I'd encouraged my mum to date a bit more because, you know, it would be nice for her to have someone now. Is she not with anyone now? No, she's not with anyone now. Yeah. It's good for me though because she's kind of my full-time babysitter, <laughs> whereas, you know, she might not be Well, that's, but then, you know, that's quite a bond. A lot of people may not have that kind of bond with their, yeah, with no, their mum. Yeah, uh, And I see that Gigi has that with, with yeah, Audrey. Um, but then, I mean, like, right after this, I'm going to go see my shrink, <laughs> and, uh, well, one of them, and learning a lot about the the bonding part between you and your, well, at least male yeah. uh, infants and their father figures and how that affects the way you look at the world later in life. So you're you're sort of coming into the relationship, I guess, without having all that baby childhood stuff. You just got it going. The worst. How old did you say she was? Well, uh, she's twelve. This is what. <laughs> I, so my line. Uh, actually, my line is that I have a year and a half's parenting experience <laughs> with a twelve-year-old kid. Mm. So I'm. Good luck with that. I'm, I've got my son's almost twelve, and um, yeah, it's a. It's an interesting time. <laughs> yeah. So you did the first, how old were you? You came out here when you were seven? Yeah. No. Yeah. To, oh, no, to, we came out here to Sydney when I was 18 months of each person. Oh, uh, right. So your mum just went, screw this, I'm out of here. Yeah. <whistles> Bye-bye. I think basically she didn't want my dad to come in and out of my life. Like he yeah. in and out of hers. It was either all or nothing. She mm-hmm. didn't want to break up his family in a way. You know, she felt the guilt that you, it's not that she's a really nasty person that wanted to wreck marriage. It was just one of those things. I think life's not black and black and white it really isn't i talk about this quite a lot it's it's a it's the there's a spectrum uh of everything yes there's a spectrum between day and night between hungry and full between straight and gay between awake and asleep and everyone and and it shifts though that line shifts for everyone like people listening may say i will never be that I'll never, never be that. What's gonna... I mean, I have. In yeah. my past, I'd be like, I'd never be the other guy. I'd never be the other guy. Yeah. Enough beers. Yeah, yeah. You it's know, true. There's so many different variables. The right girl who's things. like very, very like, no, 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 I don't care. You should... Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, okay. And you never really know what's going on in someone else's life, never mind their marriage or their relationship. So... Truly. You know, yeah. I think we got to just learn to not judge other people. So you went rural straight up? Uh, no, uh, I didn't go rural till I was married, had my first uh, ch- baby, and so I was on maternity leave. My husband hated his job. He saw a job advertised in Cojanup. I didn't know where it was, never even heard of it. He applied for it, and we decided if we got it, we'd go. The first few months of, well, probably the first few years of living rural was hell. Um, I learned that there's still class. <laughs> there didn't seem to be a, a class sort of in my area in WA before then. Yeah. But going country, I sort of realised if you weren't a farmer's wife, you were nobody. And I was a supermarket owner's wife, or supermarket manager at that stage, wife. And um, so I was nobody. They didn't care what I'd done previously or, you know, and it was it was quite a hard slog to learn to sort of find my place in a country town. So I, I guess I've written about that a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How good? Well, I, I'm, I do want to talk about that, but I'm, I'm kind of interested in... Uh, Growing, because you you look at least ten or fifteen younger than years uh, younger how, than me. How old are you? How at old least are you? I'm forty two in a week. Oh well, I'm not ten or fifteen years younger. I'm not even ten years younger than you. Oh piffle. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'd imagine that while unconventional family structures are fairly 
much more accepted yes. now. I'm of an age where uh, one of my friends, Bridie, who's been on this show, she was straight up told by one of the teachers at her school, you'll never be a prefect because your mum's divorced. Ah, yeah, like, well, I went to a strong Christian school. Um, my mum was a teacher there, actually, at this stage, though. Um, so I guess they were, it was a good, you know, I've got a sort of interesting relationship with religion in, so, in terms of, you know, um, I don't like the judgmental sort of, I suppose, from coming from where I'm from. But I, I know there's a lot of Christians, a lot of people out there who are not like that. And I definitely had that experience. I was never... Um, you know, we went to a strong Christian school. My mum was a teacher there. I was never made to feel by anyone that, you know, I was lesser because my parents weren't married or weren't ever married or worse, they were married to other people. Um, so, yeah, but it... I, so I was lucky, I suppose, because I know a lot of people would be in a different Are you still situation. connected at all to that religious vibe? Um, I've got really good friends from school and there's a group of us six who are um, very different. One's married to a minister's wife. Um, not married to a minister's wife. <laughs> One is married to a minister. Uh, a couple of them are still like, strong churchgoers. Um, I don't go to church anymore, um, but I do have a belief there. But just uh, I think it's the fact that I just don't like a lot of the... Um, it's more church and religion stuff that goes on that I don't like rather than, um, yeah, that core belief, you know what I mean? How old were you when that kind of happened? When uh, change sort of? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I only asked this because I, re I remember I went to, uh, there's Queensland, 70s, mum put us in the Catholic schools because yep. they had a, let's face it, they had a higher quality of education yeah, yeah. at the time. They had a higher quality of education than yeah. the state schools at the time. Yeah. And so that's why we went. And I guess he also put us in there because as a single mom, she was like, well, someone's going to beat some discipline into yeah, you. Yeah, That <laughs> was back then. possibly was the same. Yeah, you could beat kids back then. <laughs> um, but I remember being about 11. Yeah. It was right around when I, you know, started to get sexually, you know, aroused and, you know, this feels really good. I want to do it every day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then feeling that, you know, what, I'll burn in a river of fire if I do yeah, this? I've got similar... It um, feels normal and feels lovely. Well, how could this be bad? Actually, that's probably one of my most um, bugbears about... Uh, yeah, I, I was in a Christian school rather than Catholic, which is slightly different but similar. Um, and I've since worked in the Catholic system and my kids we did go to Catholic school for a while, more because of yeah, the options available in the country. It was that or the local school, which wasn't that great at the time. But um, I, I've had this discussion with friends recently. I, I really hate the sort of the um, how you're made to feel bad for doing for doing things that seem perfectly natural. Um, and I think a lot of my friends and I struggled with the whole, oh, you know, you're not allowed to to have any relations or anything with opposite sex before marriage and, and things like that, and make you feel yeah, you're burning hell if you do. And I think that actually created um, sort of what's the word, kind of. A bad, a bad feeling about something that's not supposed to be, or a negative, guilty feeling. So that's what I really don't like about religion. One of the things that, yeah, the guilt about not just sex, but about well, lots of things, I suppose. Yeah. You know, um, and I don't, I don't think that's what I mean. I think it's more religion. It's more the um, I can't believe that if the you know, there's a god out there, I don't think that he would be so judgmental and like that. You know, we're all we're all just human. You know? Yeah, and yeah. a lot of our physiology is. And programming is designed around reproduction. Yeah, exactly. And it's instinctual, and sometimes it takes over. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, <laughs> Drives a lot of our decision making. I know a few writers who are in a similar position to me that wish that they had not, they came from similar backgrounds. Yeah. 
And I can't say it was my mum that was ever like that, but yeah, being in a strong Christian school, you know, we were we were told the certain things you can do and the certain mm. and I remember one um, a couple of years below me, one a couple got pregnant and you know, it was just the biggest scandal yeah. in the world. And you're um, like scandal schmandle, <laughs> I was the kid. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I do think that, yeah, it's a bit sad and I hope that um, that's sort of changing, that people are yeah. able to sort of be more free and not feel guilty. About well, the thing about, and, you know, uh, I don't know if she listens or not. Yeah. Uh, hi, Karen, if you are. <laughs> hi, um, Karen. Who's but, Karen? <laughs> well, um, I'll, I'll get there. When you tell those young hormonal girls, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, if you're the young hormonal boy and you're around when she says, Oh, fuck that. I'm going for it. You do. <laughs> Life's pretty good. Karen, thank you. Um, so, yeah, like here I was in, you know, grade 12 and suddenly doing all these things that I thought would be I'd certainly a hill, a pit of hell would open up. Did you expect the minute you'd done it then someone was going to strike you down? Pretty much. <laughs> and I used contraception, so it was a double banger, you know? So when it happened, and it, when, when you didn't get struck down, yeah. how did you feel then? Did you feel like you owned the world and you could do what you like and it was all <laughs> Pretty much, pretty much. But I did yeah. fall in that, you know, her, all, incredible all or nothing high yeah. school way. Yeah. Um, you were, what did you say, you were in Perth at the time? Yeah. So you were in Perth, which for folks who aren't from that part of the world, I know a lot of Australians have never been yeah, there. Yeah, no. It's, it may as well be a different country. Yeah, we're, I think, the most isolated city in the world. Most, <laughs> most isolated metropolis on the planet. Yeah. Uh, Indian Ocean, one side, desert on the other. And a lot of mining money. Mm. Now, it wasn't sort of when I was growing up as much. Well, it didn't seem to be a thing. And now, especially, it's maybe even evening out a bit now, but, you know, in the last 10 years or so, it was everyone everyone I knew seemed to have someone, like their husband or boyfriend or whatever, work on the mines. And Mm. it was, you know, there was all that um, also new money, I suppose, because these people were earning a lot of money. Remember, what they call it? Cashed up bogans. Cubs, cashed up bogans, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, but I never really noticed that so much growing up. I don't know why. Maybe it was there, I just didn't notice, but yeah. So what, so you make your money as a romance writer Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. What was your first inkling of kind of romance between boys and girls? Um, Well, I was a bit sad. I liked the same guy from pretty much all of high school. He's actually really why I started writing in the end. Um, and I was a bit of a stalker. He was a year younger than me and um, he was the one, you know, I was going to get married, have babies, live happily ever after. Did he know this? He did because I was not um, shy about letting him know anybody else know. Um, so I feel sorry for him. You know, I sent him letters like you do and wrote his name on all my books. And, you know, at one stage actually I even... I knew that he had maths class next to my English class and I sat on the edge of the wall and, you know, it was a brick classroom. I got my ruler and was trying to, for that year, make a hole in the between the two bricks. Like the Shawshank Redemption. So I could see him. I love it! <laughs> I never did get through, though, unfortunately. But, yeah, we ended, we actually did um, start going out and I, for those people who are listening, I'm using inverted commas there because we lived, you know, we went to a private Christian school, we lived... Uh, at least half an hour by car away um, from each other. And so when we, we went out for five months, but I think that was like we went to the ball together and we saw each other once at the movies in that time. I'm pretty sure the only reason we started going out well, was because he invited me to the ball because he knew that um, I would definitely say yes. It was a sure thing. And that nobody else would say yes because I had, you know, told basically anyone that I would kill yeah. anyone who went out with you. 
That's so, a that's a pretty intense uh, uh, dedication. I mean, and you know, I would even use the word obsessed. Uh, it was definitely, as I said, it's a bit stalkerish tendencies. Yeah, you know, the poor guy. Um, we did break up at the end of year twelve, and um, well, I dumped him accidentally. Oh, uh, hang on. <laughs> yeah. How do you accidentally, yeah, dump, accidentally someone? dump someone? Well, when you're sure. a, you know an emotional 13, 13, 17 year old girl. Um, I think it was actually to do with sport or something. I wasn't very sporty, but he was. And our sports class was supposed to, you know, do something together. And I chickened out and he was annoyed. So we had, like, a, a conversation. And I said, oh, you know, I don't think this is working out. Hoping that he would say, Rachel, you're the love of my life. You know, don't leave me. We'll get married, have babies. And he, he saw the side door open. Yeah, he basically said, yep, you know, I think you're right. And I was devastated for years afterwards. It took me ages to get over him. And that was why I started writing because I, for some reason... When everyone else was, you know, partying and having fun, shopping, going to the beach over the summer holidays between year 12 and doing whatever you're doing next, I decided to write um, our story. And I think it was a form of therapy because um, what I did is I wrote everything we never said it to each other from when we were like 13, 14, which is very boring because basically for three years he never even acknowledged that I, you know, existed. Um, but then I even back then I knew that accidentally dumping someone wasn't really a good way to end a, a story. So what I did is I gave him horrific disease and I killed him off. Yeah. And that was great because I sort of felt, you know, nobody else would ever be able to have him and I, I sort of had that, I don't know, it was some sort of <laughs> grief mourning period that I could go through and then start moving on. Is so, it yeah. longhand? Um, no, I typed. My mum was a uh, high school, I suppose, well, she was typing and computing teacher back then, so she forced me in the summer of year five to learn how to touch type, which has been very useful for my job. So I typed it all up, 80,000 words. was absolutely terrible. Honestly, I would never... I'm so glad self-publishing wasn't available back then because, <laughs> oh, my gosh, it would be out there. Uh, it was really terrible, but I learnt that um, I loved it and I caught the bug sort of. And So I was 17 when I first sort of put, I suppose, fingers to keep it. So hang on, so it was like, what, word perfect on an Amiga or something? What was it? I can't even remember. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't but know. But so you would get up in the morning... And just clickety-clickety-clickety-clickety. And I wrote, but, yeah, I mean, I wrote 80,000 words quite quick, so I guess I just sat at the computer during the day and, and did it. And I was, I was due to start primary school teaching, which is what I always wanted to do. In university? Yep. Yeah. And, well, not always wanted to do. I wanted to be, you know, the newsreader for Channel 7 and a few other things in there, but I kept going back to primary school teaching. Um, but then the week before I was due to start, I decided to change to a writing degree. So what was the, it still took me 15 years after that. What was the thing that made you decide to change? Just the writing that that eighty thousand words, I really liked it. I liked it because I could play God and I could change change you know what happened in my life. Or, but you know, just yeah, being in control of the characters. I don't know exactly. I just it, it is like a bug. I think yeah, everyone catches it in a different way. And then there were so many times where I wished that I could stop writing, or you know, that I should because I'm wasting my time. It took me fifteen years, um, but it's one of those things that you just can't stop if you've got it. Yeah. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees promo rate for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com 
So the feeling of relief that you got from getting it out of you was the thing you were into? I have a bad memory now. I, I think it was just the joy of writing and creating. Uh -huh. um, coming up with, well, looking back, it wasn't interesting stories at all. Literally my characters did nothing but talk to each other and, you know, it was the most boring, and it, it, not just that first book, but for years I did a writing degree, learnt nothing about writing books, nothing about conflict and characters and plot. Um, and I've, I discovered reading again, which I didn't really read at all in high school because I was too busy, you know, obsessing over this one boy. Um, and so I just I just love the fic fictional world, you know. Yeah. I just love creating that. Yeah. yeah. And so when did you get a chance to observe your relationship with your first boyfriend from outside and maybe, shall we say, reprocess the boundaries and maybe that was Realised that I was crazy? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, because it's a sort of... Perth is still very much like a small town, I think it took... And, and then I, I was still in that sort of church sort of circle, you know. It was very much like I, I was had stuff to do with him for at least five years Ooh. or so afterwards. You know, I thought we were still going to get back together and live happily ever after. So it was probably, I guess, when I met my now husband and I started going, um, yeah, I just started realising that there was a whole different world out there that wasn't what I imagined. Uh -huh. And through the writing, I guess, um, because I, it was a while before I met my now husband, but I went to England as well. Uh, well, I, you know, did the gap year sort of thing, worked at a kids' camp where I got really... It was totally different to the people that I'd hang around with at school in that whole area that we were talking about. These were people that... Um, you know, we're getting drunk every day and sleeping with everybody at the camp and stuff. And it was, it was a real eye-opener for me about a whole different world. You didn't dip your toe into that? Um, I was pretty good. Yeah? <laughs> Enough said. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, no, I was pretty good. But I, I learnt there, like, there was other guys who I sort of started liking there and stuff and realising, you know, there's diff you know, there's a different... Um, there's more people out there in yeah. the world than this one guy. Yeah. That, you know there's possibly better people that I, um, and, and I can't imagine my life now if it would be so far removed from, um, what it is now. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, things work out how they're supposed to, I suppose, in the end. <laughs> who was the, uh, who was the first person to, to, to say, you know what, Rachel, this is good stuff. You should maybe, writing? yeah, you should submit it. Um, probably my best friend, um, at the time who I forced to read all my stuff, but I didn't really listen to her. So if we're talking about the real um, a real sort of professional person in the area. I entered a sort of a, a program for a mentorship. Um, would have been about two thousand and two. I I submitted a I suppose it's a chiclet book back then. You know, this is the time when Bridget Jones Diary was, you know, huge, and all those books were sort of like that. And I came, I got one of those mentorship places, and I worked with an ed, um, agent, or not agent, an author called Alwyn Evans. She's a yeah, YA author, children's author, who's done hundreds of books over the years, you know, um, school readers and things like that. And, yeah, she, well, the judges chose my book. Um, she really liked it. That book was still terrible <laughs> looking back, but I guess it was what we call in the, in the industry the voice that, they, mm. that they, they liked from that story. And so it was, oh, maybe I've got a, you know, chance to go somewhere. It still took me a long time when I sort of probably became really serious about it was I used to meet a friend from uni every, you know, three months or so and lament how we're never going to get published. It's so depressing, you know, so sad. Looking back, I was only, I'd only submitted one thing in about <laughs> 10 years. So, <laughs> you know, no one is going to come knocking on your door. You have to actually put yourself out there. But um, we remember reading this article at uni about Mills and Boone books 
and none of us, neither of us had read a Mills and Boone, uh, but we thought, remember the article said something about how there's quite a few Mills and Boone authors in Australia and they make a really good living from it, and we thought, hey, why haven't we thought about doing this? So we decided to, at that stage, we thought was lowering our, you know, expectations. Took it, we weren't getting published, we were just going to write a Mills and Boone. And, you know. So I went out and I read 50 Mills and Boone, brought them for a library where no one was looking. Luckily I worked at the library at that time, so good. Um, and that's when I found Romance Writers Australia, which has been a huge influence. Um, in, I started actually learning things that I should have been taught at uni. That was uh, in 2006, I think. And then I actually came runner-up in a worldwide Mills and Boone competition in 2008. The winner got published. I was not that person. <laughs> but so I thought, you know, just those little, I suppose, acknowledgements that, yeah, you have sort of um, a chance. You know, I thought when I came runner-up in the worldwide competition, I would be published within, you know, months in the surely. Uh, but it still took it still took a long time and still not published in that type Mills and Boone category, even though I am published with Harlequin Mills and Boone, yeah. So I don't know. Lots of little, lots of little, um, I guess it's like that whole one step forward and two steps back. That's what it really felt like. You know, I did have a lot of um, things along the way that made me think, yes, I can do this. But then I had a whole load of other things that made me think I was crazy for even, you know, contemplating it. What kept you going? That's a very good question. Maybe because I told everyone that this is what I want to do. Um, I'm stubborn. Remember, I liked this guy for five years and eventually got him in year 12. So, um, But maybe it's because, yeah, I think... I remember going to play group with my little, you know, everyone knew that I wanted to write and I wanted to be a published author. And I think they must have thought I must be really, really bad because, you know, people that aren't in this industry often think it's really easy. You just write a book and like, certain people say, oh, I'm going to write a book. Um, and there's a lot of luck involved, but it's a lot of hard work too. And I think part of it was that I don't want to look like a failure. So I just kept, kept at it. I was very close to giving up just before the end. And I think that's the case with a lot of areas in life. People are just ready to give up and then, you know whether there's something in the universe that says, oh, no, we've got to finally let them have their, um, after all this hard work. But, yeah, I was very close to giving up. And what was the thing that pushed you that particular day? To giving up or not, not giving To not up? give up? Um, well, I was going to give up after that Mills and Boone contest because two years after coming final, like, coming runner-up in that, I still wasn't anywhere. And they basically told me after working with an editor for two years, you can go back to the slush pile, which is basically like, um, you know, if we'd ever decide to read your book, you know, we might you know, give you some feedback. So, so I was so close and then it felt like mm. I just failed. But I had some really good writing friends. Um, Fiona Palmer's one. She's a, one of the main rural romance authors in Australia. And I was living in a small town and she said, you know, why are you trying so hard, Mills and Boone? And they're, you know, telling you, change this, change that. And I was rewriting so much. And let's face it, being a writer is part about rewriting and editing. But it was just, they changed my story so much. And she said, just write about where you live. Just write, try and write rural romance. Because it was with Rachel Treasure, who's you know, probably the queen of rural romance. She, it, it was becoming a thing. And I felt like a fraud completely because I told you I live in a small town, but I was married to the supermarket manager. I wasn't a farmer, wasn't a farmer's wife. But I thought, you know, I'm going to write about the small town communities, which I love. I love the dynamics of how everyone knows everything about everyone. You know, it can be good or bad thing. And, you know, so I just gave that a shot. It was really writing friends who I met through Romance Writers of Australia that kind of encouraged me to keep going. But I say I was going to give up and, you know, take up quilting and spend more time with my family or whatever. <laughs> but whether I, well, I, that was an option. Whether I would have done, you know, I, I really don't know. Because as I said, it's one of those things that it's just part of who you are and, even if I'd tried, I don't know whether I would have been able to give up. What's 
uh, and you mentioned it a few times, so I'm interested to know, what's, you, you say in no one and that the class system very much still exists yeah. in those uh, smaller towns. Uh, what's life like as the supermarket manager's wife? <laughs> well, it's changed because we went from nobody talked to me at all um, and apart from, uh, I was, it was kind of, this is going to sound really, now like I'm sounding like a class snob, but where, when, we worked to Co- when I moved to Cogent up, um, the playgroup where I sort of went had a three-month-old baby, these were all people, they were the townies and then the farmers' wives were, you know, the blue bloods, we kind of, <laughs> um, we named them. And I had gone to, you know, uni and was a teacher but that wasn't acknowledged kind of thing there, yet the townie people that I socialised were sort of at a total different, they were interested in different things but I fit with them because I wasn't a farmer's wife but I didn't fit with them for a whole load of other reasons. So it was kind of really hard to, as it took a long time to sort of fit in. But I learned a lot in that time because I was writing a, that's I was still writing, and I wrote a non-fiction breastfeeding book and I got an agent for that. And that changed everyone's opinion all of a sudden because one of the nice farmer's wives who I had sort of met, um, she told all her friends and then suddenly I was getting all these invitations to, you know, parties and... Uh. Private playgroup things and stuff. So, um, private playgroups. Play yes, it's very. So, whereas before, those people wouldn't even talk to me, and that made me really go. It just made me realise that I didn't really want to be with those people who I thought that I wanted to be with. Yeah. Because you know they were only interested when you, you sort of could offer sort of some I don't know, social standing. It, cer- it certainly sounds like what you're describing is not only is the class divide most definitely there, but the gender divide. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, because you mean in terms of. I didn't, I didn't socialise with any of them. Well, what, because basically you kept saying farmers' wives, farmers' oh, yeah. wives, as you're like, no, oh, there's most farmers. definitely, okay. it's most definitely you're, you're, you're the, you, you, it sounds like you're describing the, the, the stay-at-home. And it was, the majority kind of, it felt like that at the time, but I guess probably maybe that's because of where I was at my, like mm. I was, the people that I knew had young children. Yeah, yeah. So they would help on the farm and, I've, you know, I've got many good friends who, that's why I say I'm not a farmer or a farmer's wife because they are just as much a farmer as their husband. Um, now, so but I suppose I think it was just because at that stage they had the people that I was with had young children so they were probably, possibly more at home. But they were still, you know, during harvest or seeding, they were still out there. You know, you had I've got a photo of a friend um, recently from Goomelling that was actually went on ABC Country Hour, I think, on their website. And it was, it's her shearing or, you know, classing wool in the shearer's shed with a baby sleeping on her back. So <laughs> um, these women are farmers just as much as yeah. but uh, and, and some of them, but I think it's one of those things, like I think about friends who have written about the gender divide, I suppose, you know, um, I guess the country sometimes takes longer to, yeah. uh, and, you know, people, even though the younger generation sort of is quite open, sometimes people have not inherited their farms because they're, you know, not not male and that's oh. definitely you know i've heard of that and people have written about that and i think it's because it's real um but hopefully it's changing yeah. right yeah. you have a clearly a creative process that works and is quite efficient when i look at how many books you put out in the last it's going. <laughs> well the, the, when i look at how many books you've put out in the last even five years yeah. um can you take take us through like how do you tap into that how do you open that that sluice gate and just what's your day like what's your process like well, I wish I had a, like a process that I actually could, could tell you because I'm um I suppose what we call a pantser in the business I don't plot 
I heard other words for it is organic writer. And this morning I was actually reading some, uh, an author said it's a, discover, you're a discovery writer. So basically I know very little before I start about what the story is going to be. About, I have a basic premise, I have the characters, but how are we going to get there? That sort of, I, that unfolds as I write, as a reader would read it. And I find that exciting. I don't think I could be one of those plotters who plans every chapter out before the end. Um, but date, but it's also scary because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're actually going to be able, you know, you might write 55,000 words and then suddenly realise you can't actually um, finish it off. Luckily that hasn't happened yet. I have deleted, I think, at the most 20,000 words in one of my books because it wasn't working. Um, but day to day, now I write full time. I'm really lucky. I mean, I started doing this before I had children and then, you know, I squeezed the writing in around nap times, you know, where other people were good and cleaned the house or prepped for dinner or whatever when I was, they were supposed to stay at home mum. I didn't do any of that stuff, so I just hid away and wrote. Um, and so now I'm, I'm really lucky that I can do that. They're all at school. So I do have sort of a pretty structured day, I suppose, yeah. um, where I, well, the kids go off to school and then I sit down at the computer and I check Facebook and Twitter and everything else and for about two hours and then think, hang on, I should actually do some work. So I work for about 20 minutes and then check all that stuff again. Um, so I, I wish I had more of a structure. Yeah. But I just kind of... I, just, I was speaking with a, a, a painter friend of mine and she was saying that, um, that the, in her field, the thing that she found most exciting about going to art school yeah. or, or, or seeing like professional artists who are making $150,000 a piece is that they go to the studio in the morning and they treat it like a job and they just create all day, all day, all day and it's iterations and iterations and iterations and it's the 15th version of something that is that's the $100,000 piece. I think, you know, that's that's the thing. I, this is a job for me. Like I do love it most of the time um, but it changes when it becomes a job. And I remember um, someone, I listened to a, one author and I can't remember exactly his name so I'm not going to say it, but he said someone asked him, uh, do you wait for the muse to come? Like how do you, and he said... What I do is every day I sit down at my computer and I wait for my muse to arrive and when she doesn't, I start anyway and it really is about that. I mean, yeah, as you said, I've written a lot of books. I do at least two full-length novels a year with some novellas and stuff in between. Um, if I just sat around and waited. So, you know, I have these really depressing days where I think what I've written is absolutely terrible and my career is over and, you know, all that before was a fluke. But then you just, some strange reason, keep... And, and one of the things now is, like you said... Um, I've got contracts, so I have to keep going. Uh, that contract is, the, the, you know, the advance is on my mortgage, so I can't pay it back, you know. So it's it becomes a job, but that also, I guess, encourages you to keep going. Yeah. yeah. And what, what role does, because people m might, kind of scoff a little at romance books. Mm. Oh, I certainly did when I was a 19-year-old yeah, boy. I, did too, yes. I had no idea. You know, I'd, yeah. I'd see women reading them on the train as going, meh. Well, I did the same when I was Cat like, lady, right, you know. You know? <laughs> I thought it was throbbing manhoods and heaving bosom total trash. Yeah. yeah. So what role do you see that romantic fiction has in, in somebody's life? Well, firstly, it's obviously a lot more people... Are, well, obviously a lot more people are reading it than admit to it because the sales is like the biggest selling... Yeah, I was in this room... in the world. I was in this room getting a pitch the other day and I saw the figures. It's yeah, a lot of money. It is. So um, there's a lot of people out there. That, and I think what I think, you know, it's people go to me and they say, I love your books because it's an easy read. I don't have to think. And sometimes I think, oh, is that a bit of a... Um, that's a bit of a insult. <laughs> but it's not really because I read to relax and you know it's like when I watch tv or movie and 
And I think if we can, you know, in this crazy, hectic world where everyone's stressed to the eyeballs and it's depressing, if we can give someone, you know, some enjoyment. But also, romance is not necessarily just light and fluffy. I mean, I've written about a lot of serious issues as well. Um, uh, you know, I'm just off the top of my head, uh, my mind's gone blank. <laughs> Alcoholism, grief, uh, infidelity. I've had a character with Down syndrome. Um, there's, you know, I, I think that you can get important issues across without you know beating people on the head with information and get discussions going. Uh, also, it's a bit like, uh, say, Harry Potter got kids, you know, boys back into reading and things like that. And um, a lot of romance books, I don't know, people when they first pick one up, they haven't read books for years. I've had readers who email me and say, oh, I'm not a reader, but someone forced me to read yours. And now it's so easy and I really enjoyed it. And I think a lot of books are like that. And, you know, we shouldn't feel guilty just because something's easy to read. Um, so I, I think there's definitely a, a role, you know, that we play. I mean, I've had beautiful e reader emails, people saying they're going through so tough time, you know, their family, someone's sick, whatever, and that's the escape that they get. And I think that that shouldn't be underestimated. Do you... Because uh, I, know, I know that certainly, and there's plenty written about this, that yeah. in the film world, that romantic comedies and sometimes, to some extent, television set up yeah. a uh, unattainable... Uh, ideal of what a relationship should and look you know like. What? I think it's probably true to an extent, yeah. and maybe I shouldn't say that. But I mean, I have people. I write like a lot of my books are rural romance, so you know you've got this gorgeous, hot, hunky farmer who, you know, is so good looking, so talented, so kind, so lovely. And I have so many readers go, where Where can I meet this guy? He's fictional, okay? Yeah. Um, and but at the same time, I think you know, I'm. We can, we can still aspire to have a happy relationship, you know, and to be kind and romantic with people. It makes people feel good usually, you know. So um, I know I've got quite a number of male readers actually and that surprised me initially. But now I've, even through Facebook, I'm quite active on Facebook, you know, some of those male readers I've uh, talked to their wives or partners and, you know, they, don't, they think it's quite a good thing that their husbands read these books and things like that. So... I've got the question: What we're, where we're going? Well, I was just I was exactly you, you, you. We got there in the end. It was yeah. like basically, is it is it a fiction? Yes, it is a fictional thing, but that doesn't mean that people can't aspire to being a, a little more romantic. Yeah. I guess the, the thing that uh, I was discussed, I was referring to, was that the ideal of romantic comedies in, in films and and romance depiction in films is so unattainable that when people find themselves in a relationship that is working depressing. as well as it possibly can yeah. in a real-world situation with phone bills and rent and only, can you shift the car, well, yeah, no yeah. one's space in the driveway, uh, have you picked the kid up, la, 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 la. I think people then like to escape into that fantasy. Right. Is, I mean, you know, my fiction is quite realistic. I don't write about Greek billionaires and, you know, vampires and stuff, but at the same time it is a fantasy. Um, and I think that's what people want when they watch a movie or read. I remember... Um, a friend, author friend of mine, Michelle Dina, um, she mentioned once why people... I mean, let's face it, romance is in everything. I have this argument with my son, who's 12 and reads lo loads. You know, there's a romantic thread in pretty much every book he reads, in Wimpy Kid and Harry Potter and, and all the movies, you know, that adults watch. It's not supposedly romance. There's always... There's romance in everything that we... You know, there's a romantic thread in action-adventure flicks and things like that. But uh, one of my friends said... The reason I think people like reading romance is that everyone in the world is either in a happy relationship um, and, you know, in that way they love reading about other people who are in the same thing or they're in an unhappy relationship and aspire 
to be in another one or they're not in a relationship and would really like to have that, you know, emotional intimacy maybe as well as physical intimacy. Or, they, you know, there's a very small number of people who are quite happy to be completely by themselves and don't aspire, you know. So I think it just, it's the emotion mm. that um, we all sort of can relate to. Yeah. Which is, I think, from what I can only uh, deduce from what people have told me, it's why people enjoy Bachelor. Yeah, yeah. Is... It's a fantasy. It is a fantasy, yeah. and that's the great part. Yeah. And everyone, I mean, I was we were shooting till three in the morning this morning, oh. um, and everybody that's there knows everyone's a willing participant. Yeah. Like when we were shooting at Hunters Hill, which is a suburb just over there, and we had a date at you know North Head, which is just over there. Yeah. We could have taken an Uber. No, yeah. we're taking a chopper. Yeah, because <laughs> it's the whole romantic. Exactly. Thing. We're going to get a bloke with a fancy boat. What's anything wrong? What's wrong with enjoying, enter- you know, entertaining shows like that or books like, you know, we're allowed, we're allowed to relax. And I think, you know, people only admit to watching, you know, serious stuff or to reading, you know, Man Booker Prize things. But most people. Oh, no, you know, people love admitting to me they watch Batchy. Yeah. Probably Especially men. Yeah, men yeah. love it. Oh, yeah. Men come up and say that it's the first show they've watched with their wives oh, ever. Well, and, and see, that's a good thing, you know, because maybe they're people, they're sitting on the couch at home together and yeah. they're having something, you know, maybe they haven't had much in common for years and now they've yeah. got something to talk about and it's that. So you've got, uh, you, you mentioned you've got a boy on the cusp of yeah. becoming a teenager. Yeah. Um, when you look at what, I guess society expects of young men mm-hmm. and the kind of trouble that young men can get into and so, how, yeah. yeah, well, but certainly as, you know, sexuality starts to flourish, yeah. how young men can get into trouble with, mm-hmm. with young women. How, how are you facing or looking to, to, to well, try and talk to them? We've had a few conversations. <laughs> yeah. Um, about how to treat women, I guess is yeah, what I'm going Yeah, yeah. And, you know, actually I think being, having a mother who's a romance author, he probably, experiences a bit more of like his you know um not the raunchy type stuff but he knows he talks about romance and you know people get together so i hopefully he'll be a nice you know he'll treat women right and you know put a bit of romance all, i've got three boys so hopefully they'll all um grow up to you know be a bit romantic but i mean it's really hard to uh, you know you read so much about what porn and stuff like is doing to i'm not quite there yet but i'm scared you know uh, how, how how to navigate? I have no answers. I don't know yet. We sort of. I guess it's just a, a game that you yeah. sort of. Uh, but I I think I would really try and be, you know, open with conversations. You know, regarding how to treat women, um, from sex to just you know being friends with them. And I think that's a bit hard for me because as we talked about earlier, that's something that wasn't really yeah. um, around in my. And I don't want my children to grow up feeling that. You know, they can't talk about stuff like that with the adults or that it's bad. And so, yeah, hopefully I'll be able to navigate it we, as we start to get there. Yeah, so I look at, uh, you know, Gigi goes to school across the road. She goes to an all-girls school yep. and, you know, across the road is the old boys' school. And they are men. Already? They're men. They're and my, my son's starting an all-boys school next year in high school. So yes, it's, And, I mean, I know from being in the country, you know, most of the kids go away to boarding school yeah. and you know so a lot of the males and men and women that are in the country they went to boarding school too and some of the horror stories they, so yeah i don't know it'll be it's be fun and scary ahead <laughs> <laughs> uh speaking of scary you mentioned it just before that your house was uh <laughs> nestled in bushland mm-hmm. until just a few weeks ago yes 
uh, a lot of folks who, who listen would have probably, even if they were big enough fires to have, you know, they would have made the news. Yep, they did WA at least. So yeah. yeah um, what's it like living in a part of the world that is could a, be a bushfire? Yeah, it could be a tinderbox. And well, we've only lived there. We've had the house for a couple of years. We've only lived there since October last year. And I know across Australia, there seems to be the bushfires have been quite prevalent this season, it seems. Uh, in January, I think it was Australia Day, I could see fire you know, on a hill. It was like, oh, we might have to evacuate. You know, We had time to think about or gather the birth certificates and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but recently, yeah, it was no time. I was tapping away at my computer. Unfortunately, hadn't got you know, actually dressed like you don't in this job. So, and then my mum, who lives with us, said, there's a fire out there and we had to evacuate. And it was no time to even... I grabbed my laptop and my mobile phone and the dog. Um, but, you know, there was no time to, and that was, I think it affected me more than I realised. The time was just like, get out, and I was driving between fire on the driveway to try and, you know, escape. Um, but even though you know, I mean, we live in a bushfire, our insurance is higher because of that, we're doing some renovations, we have to pay this ridiculous amount for fireproof windows and all this kind of stuff. Still, when it actually happens, it's can, it affects you more than you realise. But... I've had people say to me, oh, why do you live there? You know, you don't want to live in, it's a bushfire area. The house we've been, we live in is 36 or something years old. It's never been burnt down. Um, and it's such a beautiful area, you know. I just love walking through the bushland with my dog. and like, I, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. So it's just one of those risks that you you live with. Well. And I guess now you get to see the bushland come back to life. Yeah, it's very, it's it's quite a, it's quite amazing already. There's, it's been, you know, what, three weeks or something and already there's green shoots and, you know, um, so, yeah, and I figure we won't have to worry about it for a few years now because it's all... <laughs> at least they're not. Wow. That, that's, that, that is an issue. You know, I think in my, in my suburb, it's, it's wayward drunken backpackers. <laughs> um, it's a problem too. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, bushfires. Um, I'm so grateful that I got a chance to chat with it you. It's fun. This is super duper. Unreal. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you. This is so great. I'm a... Uh, Thanks for the books. That's okay. I hope you enjoy them. If you ever get a chance to read them. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'll pass them on to Audrey because when I met Audrey, the week oh, I yeah. met her, uh, so I think the line I said, oh, did you watch Game of Thrones last mm-hmm. night? She <laughs> goes, yeah, I have, but I've read all the books. Yep, yep. And so I went, she's more <gasps> <a> reader. <laughs> <laughs> Impressive. You're a reader. Their books are, yeah. I was in, all right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I know lately, you know, and she probably will mind me saying this, it seems like spare time is Facebook. Yeah, I know. I was the same. My husband was a reader when I met him all those years ago, and a writer actually. And I don't remember the last time he's read any book because I gave him an iPad for his 40th birthday, and now it's game. He probably mind me saying this too. Yeah. <laughs> it's just games or Facebook, and you know, we get. Yeah, I sometimes wonder how are we going to survive as writers with all the things that are out there you yeah. know, up against up against us. But there still seems to be enough people reading. Yeah, I uh, I found my other Kindle the other day, which I was sure I left on a plane. I might give it to her. There you go. Maybe it's a hint, hey? Yeah. I liked you because you're a reader, so start reading again. <laughs> I don't think that's a, you know that's okay. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, it's fine. Anyway, I'm um I'm going to take your photo really quickly. I promise okay. it'll be super painless. <laughs> it's 125th of a second. It'll okay. be over before you know. All right. It. Okay. Thanks heaps. And that was Rachel Johns. You can find her on Twitter at R-A-C-H-A-E-L-J-O-H-N-S. You can also look at all of her books at racheljohns.com.
com. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you're new, please subscribe, tell a friend. Uh, that's how we get word out. I get word out about this show. If you'd like to hear some exclusive episodes and maybe kick in a few shekels to help the show, patreon.com slash O-S-H-E-R. A bunch of people are having a hard time searching. Um, it's because there's an umlaut in my last name, and if you don't write the umlaut, it won't find me. But it's just p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash O-S-H-E-R. And that's, uh, that's where you find me. For as little as five bucks a month, you get access to exclusive episodes. Uh, which include at the moment James Matheson. Next week will be Ash London. I'm doing sequel episodes for the uh, exclusive stuff. And the uh, Ash London one's absolutely brilliant. And I'm really, really excited to share it with those few and special and blessed and wonderful people who were choosing to part with their hard-earned dough to uh, support this show. If you can't afford to, please don't. This podcast will always stay free. Um, but I just wanted to throw in a little incentive for people who are able to help out a little more. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I'm off to go have uh, Easter lunch with some of Audrey's relatives. As a Fijian, she has a Jillian relatives, which is extraordinary. I mean, I'm from a small first, I mean, I'm first generation immigrant. So the family that I have here is all second generation and uh, little. And so to go and just be surrounded by 30, 40 people who are all within one or two circles of bloodline to Audrey is pretty great. It's really nice to be surrounded by so many wonderful people. It's really great. So I'm going to enjoy that. Uh, Have a fantastic week. I'll talk to you soon. Until we speak next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.